You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champions. The Twins go to the seventh game. Touch them all, Kirby Puckett. Gone! A walk-off for Chanel. And the Twins win it. Are the true gems. The inside stories and tales. I remember in the beginning of that season in 1997, I was sleeping in a car in a parking lot. I was broke, and I was thinking about quitting. I'm looking at it, reading it, and I'm like, this dude messed up my ball. Like, my first home run ball, he just totally messed it up. That's probably one of my favorite plays of my career, just considering in the stadium, um, you know, game's over, he scores. And it, was, it was a pretty cool moment. And you will find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, welcome back inside the Twins Clubhouse, and this is the Twins Clubhouse broadcast. Glad to have you with us all across our fine network and also wherever you listen to your Twins podcast. And obviously, uh, a little bit of optimism in the air with the announcement there will be baseball here coming up at the end of the month, so we're excited about that. But today we're throwing the doors open to the Twins Clubhouse to another one of our favorites from years gone by as we journey down to Oklahoma and the Sooner State for Mr. Nick Blackburn. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Wow, we're doing just lovely now. I, I will say it's fitting that today's Twins Clubhouse, Nick, is brought to you by Mauer Chevrolet. Your local Chevy dealers at Mauer Auto are here and ready to help. Schedule your maintenance or book an appointment for a test drive online at MauerAutoGroup.com. And I say it's fitting because the first ever appearance that I did with the club was also your first ever public appearance. We went to a school late in 07, and it was was not a school that was going to win an award for best-behaved students, and they all thought, that you were Joe Mauer. You were rocking the sideburns back then. I think the first yeah. the first question you got was, are you Joe Mauer? You said no. The second question was, do you know Joe Mauer? Uh, and I don't know how you answered that one, but do you remember that? And I think that, that even TC got mobbed that day. Man, that is probably one of the most common things that happened to me in my career, to be honest. When I, you know, Early on, without the beard and just the sideburns, I couldn't go anywhere without people thinking I was an hour, which was good, obviously. But <laughs> I always get... wanted to try it at the bank and see if I could get away with anything, but I wasn't <laughs> sure I'd be able to. You might have been able to get a, a good table at a restaurant or something, yeah. you know, maybe when you needed something like that. Yeah, there's a story that Brian Busher and I were out. Uh, I can't remember, after a day game or something, we are out having dinner, and these guys came over to the table, and they are like, hey, I know who you are. And this was like 07, I believe. I'd just been called up and kind of like what the time frame you're talking about. And I was like, I'm going to guess that you don't. <laughs> and he was like, I, me and my buddy got a bet going on that we do or whatever. He's like, I've been seeing you on billboards. I was like, yeah, you're wrong or whatever. So so they're trying to convince this guy I'm not Joe Maurer. I even pull out my ID, and he's like, anybody can have a fake ID. That's not a big deal. So I finally get the guy convinced. Busher sitting over there, he goes, Hey, Joe, I'm going to go grab another drink. You need one? And the guy just lost his mind. He's like, I knew it. But it was pretty entertaining, to say the least. It it cost me about another 10 minutes trying to convince this guy that I didn't go have a fake ID made 
to prove to people that I wasn't Joe Mauer. But Though Nick Blackburn is a great fake ID name. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is a great fake ID name. And classic <laughs> Brian Busher name. Classic yeah. Brian Busher move right there. Well played, Brian Busher. Well, aside from winning a Joe Mauer lookalike contest, 07 was a big year. And uh, let's start before that because your journey, I think, was more typical than most certainly more typical than a guy like Joe's to the major leagues. You or a guy like Brian Busher, you spent six years in the big leagues, which is about twice the length of the average major league career. You also spent parts of six years in the minor leagues, which I would think is probably a lot closer to the lifespan of a lot of guys because it's just so difficult for it all to break right. Your health, the the state of the club, how you're performing uh, to, to even get to the big leagues for the first time. But let's go back to Dell City, Oklahoma. Uh, you started getting nicked up, no pun intended, literally in high school, right? I mean, the injury bug got you even before you got to Seminole State. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and it was always just kind of small stuff, you know, mm-hmm. ankles or, or something just like a freak accident. I know my senior year I was playing third and I dove for a ball and the grass gave way and I pulled the ligament off the bone in my foot. So it was just little random strange things. Maybe, you know, I, when I did get to Seminole, and I think I battled this a little bit in high school too, just shoulder tendonitis. It was just always like little nagging stuff, never, never any major, you know, setbacks but just kind of a little uh more pain in the rear type stuff than anything that would keep me off the mound a little bit here and there you know so i had low innings in high school and uh young in my career my baseball career i didn't really throw a whole lot just because of small little just i guess you could call them setbacks but i was still always able to play uh just not pitch as much and when you got to Seminole, and this is where I want to really start the conversation, you were a 29th round pick there in 2001 of the Twins. Uh, Seminole State in Oklahoma has produced guys like Eric Gagne, Ryan Franklin, uh, our buddy Jeremy Hefner. I don't know if you know Hef at all, who just left to yeah. become the pitching coach with the Mets. A great guy uh, yeah. who went, who was so bold as to marry the daughter of the Seminole softball coach. Uh, and he and Sarah still live in, in Oklahoma together. Seminole State is... I'll use the word notorious for how tough you have to be to play there. And I know you've told me some of the crazy stories and half as well. Did you know that going in? And is that part of the reason you went? Yeah, I, I, I was aware what I was getting into. I went on two college visits uh, my senior year. One of them was Connor state, which is also in Oklahoma. And on that visit, he went and woke up a couple kids that, I mean, my, I got there like at one o'clock and coaches tell me, you know, if you don't go to class the first day, you don't have to go at all. And, like, we went and woke up a couple kids that – he's like, we got practice in an hour. What are you all doing? You know, so I and, – in my mind, I was like, I will be a train wreck if I show up at this school. Whereas my Seminole visit, we showed up in the evening, and uh, they were practicing after a doubleheader because they didn't hit well enough. So, partially – I look back, think I'm a little bit crazy just for signing up for that, knowing what I was getting into. But at the same time, the discipline that is forced on you <laughs> at that school was something that I knew I probably needed if I wanted to take my career seriously. I wasn't ever big-time uh, prospect or anything like that, but I've always had some tools to work with. Do you think that the mental toughness required and built in your year at Seminole helped you along the way, the grind through the minor leagues and, and on into the big leagues? Yeah, absolutely. I can remember uh, 
after so I I played the two years at Seminole and then signed with the Twins and one of the first couple of days I got there I met Perry Perry Castellano and he was asking me if the workout was too much or whatever and so I kind of just laughed I was like I mean came from Seminole where we had military style training and you know guys were running so they threw up pretty commonly and just you know I think it probably set me up to know that I can push myself way further than I previously thought so and I mean that's part of the mental aspect of it too and and a lot of people don't realize there's plenty of talented baseball players in the world, but there's so much that the game the game can defeat you mentally as well, as it, and, and it happens a lot. And so mm-hmm. that was just something that almost once I got out of Seminole, I felt like indestructible uh, mentally. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I can do that, if I can get up at 4.30 in the morning and march and run and fight, and I, I'm probably good to go. Well, that's what Greg Miller thought, and we had Scott Baker on the Twins Clubhouse last week, and he was also a Greg Miller guy, uh, and Greg was the one who really literally fought for you with Mike Radcliffe. Here's Mike. Nick at that time was big and heavy, didn't have a prototypical body that a scout or, a, or you'd look at as a, any type of premium draft, but Greg believed in his arm action and believed in, in uh, the makeup of young Nick Blackburn and forced us to draft him. And I know Greg Miller was always a kind of a big part of your career, right? Yeah, absolutely. I actually went hunting with Greg a uh, time or two after I signed and got to the major league, and we still talk occasionally just – I'll run into him at a basketball tournament or whatever when his daughters were still playing basketball. That happened a time or two, but uh, yeah, we're still buddies. We still talk occasionally, and it was it was it was really good to have someone like that that has been around the game, but also kind of treated my dad and I and my whole family as not. I don't want to say a friend, but at the same time, he was very open to all the questions and helping us kind of ease the way into it, all that stuff. So. He's a good guy to have on the corner on, on on my side, you know. Just there's a lot of unknown when you first sign. You oh, don't yeah. know what you're getting into. Um, you know, well, first he, of all, there's hunting. Go ahead, sorry. Well, he was talking about your arm action, Nick, and, and that's the thing that I keep coming back to because through all the different stuff that you dealt with, and I'm thinking about losing the cartilage in your knees, and you had some forearm stuff later on. I mean, talk about a repeatable delivery. I feel like you were a guy. Who, and this, you weren't going to strike everybody out. You threw that great sinking bowling ball, and people were going to beat it down into the ground. But I felt like that arm action that Greg referenced with Mike Radcliffe, um, that was one thing that, that you could hang your hat on from day one. Yeah, I mean, and and to be honest, it was all just kind of stumbled across all this stuff. I didn't have anybody. I didn't do lessons growing up. I didn't. I was kind of just blindly following myself, you know, finding – myself at the next level over and over and just adapting when I got there. You know, I mean, um, I can remember scouts telling me in high school not to ever change the slurve that I threw and people liking the action that I had, but I didn't know what I was doing to be completely honest. I just went up there and tried to get guys out. Uh, and then, you know, had a power arm young and Mike was absolutely right. I was pretty fat when I graduated. So <laughs> going to Seminole helped, you know, I mean, I knew I was going to get that weight off. Uh, learn my way around the weight room a little bit, just kind of figure out what work ethic looks like. Um, and so, I mean, it just, as I was in the minor league system, I kept learning more and more about how to move the ball and, you know, uh, just things kind of just fell in place naturally for me um, without me ever really realizing what was 
happening at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and it really clicked in 07, but before that, you had five years where you were kind of making progress, but then you'd have a setback, and I, I mentioned the knees. You had like zero cartilage left in your knees, and you got big, and then you rehabbed. My, my favorite thing to come out of that process was you taking balls at first base during PFPs in spring training and TK being so upset with your footwork that despite the fact that you were a pitcher, he stopped the entire spring training PFP drill yeah. to teach you how to play first base like Ken Herbeck. Uh, I forgot about that. That is the way. <laughs> I, I may not have ever remembered that that happened, but that absolutely did, and it was pretty comical. I caught a lot of grief in the, in the locker rooms over that deal just from the other pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they'd be happy they got a break. Ah, man. Well, it just kept us out there longer. We're out there doing PFPs for four hours a day anyways. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you get you get to AAA in 2007. You, you blow through AA, uh, and you are pitching as well as you have ever pitched. And then you embark on as dominant a stretch at AAA as any twin starter has had in a long, long time. Here's a clip. Her hits a ground ball toward third. Tolbert has it to his left. The third baseman throws the first, and that's the game. And Nick Blackburn throws his second consecutive nine-inning complete game shutout. 2-0, the Red Wings beat Louisville tonight. Unbelievable. Josh Wetzel with the call, and uh, when I uh, reached out to him to see if he had that highlight available, Nick, boy, he could remember, I think, what was it, three, four games in a row where you either went nine, gave up none, or maybe gave up one run in that span? You were a house of fire there for the better part of a month in 07. So that all started with uh, I got called up from AA where I'd kind of just been uh, mediocre. You know, I mean, it was early in the season. I think I spent two weeks down in New Britain to start the year, maybe – Maybe three weeks. Had a couple starts under my belt. Nothing spectacular. Uh, someone got hurt in AAA, and uh, I went up and had my first outing. Maybe went six, gave up five or six. Nothing. It was it was a little bit ugly, and we made one small adjustment in between those starts. And after that, I took off like my hair was on fire. My, the ball started moving more. My velocity jumped a little bit, um, and things going started going really well. So I started a. And a scoreless streak, and I'm not sure how many innings it was, but I started it with back-to-back CG shutouts, and then I think a third game I went eight scoreless. But either way, I think it totaled out to be, and this could be wrong, 42 and a third mm. consecutive innings without giving up an earned run. And not so bad. It just it all started clicking, and I mean, I was sleeping on couches. My roommates wouldn't let me get in bed. It was a nightmare <laughs> for the superstitious side of the the clubhouse but it was it was some of the most fun ever i mean just getting out there and be successful after being stuck in double a i i was in in new britain for three seasons or parts of three consecutive seasons just kind of plateaued and at one point was told i was on the bubble and you know wasn't sure if my career was going to be extended or not and uh like i said i just uh Stu Clyburn taught me one thing and it made a major change for me and things just kind of took off had a ton of fun in that stretch well and you talk about the mental part earlier and when you're in new britain and you're getting sent there for the third straight year it's easy to think all right i'm going home i'm going to go coach in high school i'm going to go finish school i'm going to do something else it's not in the cards but then you have a stretch like that and and did you you need that stretch at that time to remind yourself that you could in fact play in the major leagues Man, I honestly never knew I could play in the big leagues, to be 
you know, mm. totally honest with you. It just kind of, like I said, I kept getting to the next level and something would happen to where we would just adapt. And, and before I would know it, I would be surprising myself a little bit. So, I mean, just that side of it was so much fun. Just kind of seeing like, Whoa, I could be one of the guys, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. Not that I was, I never thought even when I was throwing my best that I was going to be a number one guy for any club because of the style of pitches I threw and, you know, being a guy that, you know, looked for contact, I knew that wasn't going to be the big number guy, but, you know, just being out there and being effective at the highest level, not ever expecting to ever be there was just such an awesome thing to experience, but getting called up to AAA and having just some, some success after multiple seasons of just kind of basically hanging on in double a so um i was probably as shocked as i was excited about all of it <laughs> we love your honesty nick nick blackburn joining <laughs> us from oklahoma so you pitch so well that you get the september call-up uh now scott baker told us last week that when he got his call-up uh terry ryan actually picked him up himself it was scott and his very pregnant wife at the time and t uh, tr showed up in a in a pickup truck and just threw the bags in the back uh, you know not like he was the general manager more like he was the clubby did did, did terry pick you up when you got called up <laughs> yeah he picked me up at the airport uh <laughs> i love it it was i mean it was it was awesome like i said and and, and the the big thing is that i never even pitched in the major league spring training game i wasn't on the roster i had never been invited to big league camp and so i was meeting terry and ryan obviously i'd seen him in the meetings at spring training but like we didn't know each other real well at that point because I hadn't been on the major league side much, which he showed his face a ton on the minor league side. So he wasn't a stranger to anyone, but you know, just that whole experience, I was pretty puckered going into it. Just not knowing that I wasn't going to know hardly any of the guys on the team, like none of the staff. I'd never really met Gardy, you know what I mean? So, uh, it just, it was such a whirlwind of emotions. And plus you got to factor in the fact that it was about 12 hours before that, that I was told I was in the major league. So, I mean, what an experience it was, uh, you know, and then to have someone of Terry's stature pick you up at the, at the airport's a pretty cool thing. How great is that? The GM picking players up himself to, uh, to bring know, them to the big amazing. Yeah. We're driving into town. He's like, here's our city. Here's the skyline. <laughs> like, give me a little bit of a tour. It was amazing. He, if he's not busy right now, you should look into uh, maybe being an Uber driver. <laughs> he would be amazing, yeah, wouldn't he? Get a uh, pretty good tour. All right. Well, September 3rd, you, you get the nod. Uh, and, and I don't know if you knew you were going to pitch in this one. It's the Twins in Cleveland. Cleveland, I think, was headed towards a division title, and it was about the sixth or seventh time seemingly that year that C.C. Sabathia pitched against Johan Santana. C.C. was dominant that year. Johan obviously was Johan. C.C. owned Johan and the Twins in 2007, but you came in and you get the last inning. Do you remember the first guy you faced? Yeah, Kenny Lawson. It was one of my best friend's favorite player growing up. I couldn't believe that it lined up that way. It was it was awesome. I couldn't feel my legs, though, so I was a little nervous about getting somebody out. Well, you, uh, you, you didn't get lofted out, but then you got the next three outs pretty quick. Let's take a listen right. to it. Nick put together a real nice season with the Rochester Red Wings, where he was 7-3 and three with a 2.1 ERA. Here's a swing and a double play ball hit to short. Flip to Casilla, one relay to first, a double play. 6-4-3. Fly ball into center field. Ty Hunter with a diving catch in left center field. Wow, what a play by Toad. Well, there's the fielding play of the game. 
Gold Glover, Torrey Hunter coming up with a great diving catch. Yeah, you're not in Kansas anymore at that point. Uh, you get the double play ball, which Nick was perfect because that's that was your game from day one. So fitting your first two outs would be on a double playgrounder, and then why not get bailed out by one of the greatest defensive outfielders of all time? Man, I'm I'm not entirely sure that this is right, but I I think that the play that Tory made on that ball that Hafner hit was one of his highlights. That you know, if you see. Mm-hmm. Tory Hunter highlights on the outfield. I'm I'm 90 sure that that diving catch was one of them because I can remember just thinking like I don't know how he caught that. In fact, I met him at the dugout steps and was like unbelievable play. And he's like I got you, and that's all he said. And I was like this is unbelievable. To you know, what an experience. Just one of the highest highs I've ever felt in my life. Just getting out there and accomplishing a dream that I never thought was going to be even a, a, a true reality. You know, I mean, I was always pretty good on my teams but never expected to be there you were there on september 3rd of 2007 and i don't know i i noticed this when i dug up the box score do you remember the home plate umpire um no i don't angel you had angel in your debut was it? see <laughs> I, did, I wasn't sure if i had him for my debut or if that was my first start in the following season but uh yeah, that's, he, that's pretty entertaining. He was there. Yeah, entertaining is a good word for it. Well, you mentioned the next season, yeah. Nick. 2008, you come back, you make the club um, out of spring, right? So you're you're pretty fired up. Uh, and your first start is really good. You went seven innings against the Angels, gave up just a single run. You have okay starts at Chicago and at Detroit. And then you come back to the Dome on April the 19th. It's Cleveland again. And here's what uh, some of the highlights sounded like. Ground ball hit the second, could be two. Harris to Puto one, relay. Out at first, they got the double play. Puto showed just a little bit off the mark, but a good stretch by Morneau. Blackburn ready now in the 1-1 delivery. Here's a line shot. Nice glove play by Harris. Out at second, wow. relay to first. Wow, wow, wow. Double play, oh my. What a play by Brendan Harris. Here's Blackburn's pitch, and a little tap hit right back to Nick. He'll go to second, out, Beautiful. relay to first. Double play! They got the DP! Third of the game! What a pick by Morneau at first base. Twins looking for a DP here. If they get it, it'll be their fourth of the game. Infield, double play depth, and here's the pitch. And a ground ball to Morneau at first. He's got it. Second one, out. Relay back to first. Double play. They got it. Oh, boy! Yeah, Nick, I don't know if we should conference in Harry and, and Nick and Morney or what, but that was four double plays on route to your first win. Uh, so obviously you had some traffic uh, against a very good Cleveland team, but that was that was Nick Blackburn at his finest, burying that sinker and letting the turf and your infielders do the work. And I'm I'm assuming that first W ball is somewhere in your in your home. Yeah, absolutely. I've got that and the lineup cards and everything here at the house. Uh, I mean, it just double play. You know, it. I had traffic on bases all the time, as you guys know. I, I couldn't. I joke around with friends now. I was lucky to get out, carry a first, a perfect game through the first inning. You know, so uh, I just had to pitch. I had to figure out how to get guys out with guys on. You know, and I, that sinker was the sinker and the cutter combo that I had was probably the only reason why I had any kind of success, and it just. It helped tons, the the damage control that they was able to do and, and just the amount of double play balls that bailed me out in so many situations that could have got pretty ugly pretty fast. So uh, I can remember those days, the, the days of needing a big double play ball and getting one. I'm a coach pitch, 
pitcher now, and I still roll too many double plays at this point. <laughs> in coach pitch, you're you're snapping cutters yeah. in on the hands, getting some so double play we balls this weekend. And my dad was watching uh, my son play, and he comes over at the first inning. He was like, "Dude, you're still getting too many crown balls." <laughs> and that was true. I mean, we went out and beat three in the ground, and they went three up, three down on us. Yeah, you, you got to let somebody else pitch. You got to get somebody else in there to, when your guys are at the at the dish. Uh, well, we know you can you can throw double plays, but we also got to highlight your your major league hitting profile. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you have Do you have the ball from your lone major league hit? Uh, I probably do. I've got the bat. I don't know where the ball is. I've got a box full of them somewhere here in the house, but. Well, I, you, I did get the ball. I think I got the lineup card for that also. I mean, at this point, they just give up a lineup. They give out a lineup card for everything you do, I think. So, <laughs> you got lineup cards everywhere. Well, you you pitched well in this one, too. It was in Colorado. You went seven innings, just two runs, five hits. And if you're going to get your first base hit, why not against a guy who was, at that point, just starting to blossom into a dominant pitcher in Ubaldo Jimenez? Here's what it sounded like. And pitches, and a ground ball hit on the left side, fielded by the uh, shortstop. Lamb will not be able to score. Barmas makes the play a deep short, no throw to first, and Blackburn has reached with an infield hit. Holger is also getting the baseball as Blackburn has his first major league hit. I don't really uh, remember it too much. You know, I was up there just hacking. Yeah, you were hacking all right. Infield hit because you had the speed, right? You had the wheels. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. I know what my own strengths are. I knew I needed to get the ball on the ground and leg it out. Uh, <laughs> and so just. Lamb cost you the RBI. Mike Lamb cost you the RBI. He couldn't I score. Know. I don't know what's going on with that. I didn't, I didn't beat him up too hard over the deal, but, you know, I was really wanting to drive that run in. And shortstop <laughs> just made a great play on that. Well played, slow roller. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 ball's going to be the exit velocity is climbing with every passing day. Yeah, it's and, up to the forty, the high forties at this point. <laughs> I don't know if that technically gives you a barrel or not in the modern stats. Pro- probably not. No, but that not. what's funny is that was my second at bat, I believe, and my first one I hit a ground ball similar on the other side of the field. So like, not great contact, just is squeaking its way through. I can't remember who was playing second base, comes up, makes a play, and throws it right at my face as I'm running down the baseline. So it's been at this point, you know, close to 10 years since I ran the bases, and so there's a baseball flying at me. I about laid out just to not get hit in the face, and Helton jumps off the bag, grabs it, and because I stopped so much to not get hit in the face, he has enough time to step on the bag and get me out. I was like, man, that's probably my only chance to get a hit. First of all, Jimenez, I didn't – I'm not sure he knew where he was throwing it, so no. I didn't know where I was, he was throwing it. I was terrified. So <laughs> just the fact that I thought I was costing myself an opportunity for a knock right there, I was pretty disappointed in it. And it's a guy but, like Todd Helton too. I mean, it's not just yeah, like some guy yeah. that you played against your whole career in the minor leagues. It's a legend in Todd Helton. <laughs> right, but – but I didn't let it beat me up and was able to go back out and get a hit later on. Yeah, you're a hit <laughs> machine. People, I just actually told somebody this not too long ago. At that point, I ordered the smallest bat in order just to try to, you know, get the barrel on the ball. After I finally got a hit, I started ordering the coolest looking bat, <laughs> and I just started trying to hit bombs. <laughs> somebody had therefore to. Therefore, I didn't. 
I didn't get any more hits after that. It, w- it was Jeff Baker, by the way, who almost hit you in the face. He was playing second base that day for the Rockies. Okay. And speaking of getting hit in the face, that was about two weeks before you took a, a Bobby Abreu liner right off the schnoz. Yeah. That still has to be one of the scariest moments of your career, right? It was one of the scariest moments of uh, my career, and I was a couple hundred feet away. Yeah, it was uh, It was quite the deal. I mean, looking back at it, I saw a short glimpse of the ball. Um, it almost seemed like it wasn't spinning because I saw it so fast. And then next thing I know, it just sounded like a loud noise. And I, was, I, I wasn't unconscious, but I was stunned. You know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I knew... I was still awake, but also at the same time felt like I just couldn't do anything, you know. So it was a scary deal. Fortunately, uh, it kind of smashed the nerves, so there wasn't a ton of pain involved. But actually, the most painful part of it was I landed on my left kneecap when that happened, and so I busted up a bunch of cartilage on the backside of my knee. So uh, coming out of that thing, my face obviously was sore for a little bit uh, as it recovered, but initially my knee was bothering me more than my face was yeah that was probably the last cartilage you had left in your in your knees at that point <laughs> after all they'd been through it and i just remember abreu's face as well yeah. uh, did you guys i mean talk about it at any point after that i mean it is every it's every pitcher's worst nightmare but i think it's a lot of hitters worst nightmare too yeah so after the game uh you know i went to the hospital and was back before the game was over uh and one of the visiting clubhouse guys came over and said, like, hey, if you're good, Bobby wants to you know, check on you or whatever. So I went out and met him out in front of their locker room. Uh, and he just was basically, I think, just wanted to make sure I was good. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't apologize, but he shouldn't apologize. Yeah. I hung a cutter and he smashed <laughs> it the way he's supposed to. But, you know, he's like, man, you good? And I was like, I'm fine. You know, like, I'll be all right. No damage. We're good to go. So it was quite the experience. That was my, actually my first. That was the first major league game my mom was there for in person, oh God. and so it was obviously terrifying for her. Uh, but you know, for for as ugly as it could have been, it worked out about as good as it possibly could. Yeah, you didn't even miss a turn, and I mean that's that's the old Seminole State in you, right? The uh, ability Man. to take a punch. I think it was almost more like I need to just get back out there so I'm not scared of it type deal. And I can remember in Chicago, uh, I had a couple comebackers or even balls that were hitting center field. I jumped pretty bad on it. And, you know, I talked to a couple other guys that had been hit in the past and they're just like, well, I mean, you're going to be jumpy for a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll get over it eventually. And, and I did. I mean, I was fine with it after that. Uh, well, what's the da- is the yeah. danger that you, that you short arm it? That you, you you know you leave one and that leaves the ball up and that makes it more dangerous. Is that the biggest fear? Uh, no, I mean I don't know that there's more danger involved in in, in having that fear back there. But you can't really play any sport scared. Yeah. You know what I'm you know. Yep. So I mean you just kind of have to let it slip out of your mind because otherwise it's just taken away from what you're you're what yeah. you're supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got a game plan when we go out there. If I'm sitting there thinking worried about is this guy going to hit it back up the middle at me or whatever? It's kind of taken away from, you know, what my approach should be and, and where my head should be. So uh, getting back out, and I, I struggled in that Chicago star, or was it Cleveland? It was Cleveland or Chicago. I don't say it was Chicago where we went the next road trip. But I wasn't very good, but I also had, uh, I think I went on the DL after that with about a tendonitis in my elbow. And, and that was one of the things. 
late in that Yankees game that I got hit in, I could feel I'd had tendonitis in my elbow enough. I could kind of feel it coming along, and I was starting to leave pitches up because I couldn't get through them as well. Mm. Getting hit in the face, I forgot that my elbow didn't feel good. My bullpen was super light because they didn't want me throwing a lot with a swollen face, and so I didn't really get to throw my full bullpen so I didn't really remember my arm was hurting yeah. too bad. There had been a lot of focus on my face. I knew my knee was barking. We went out to that next one, and I just couldn't get through anything. My pitches were flat. They were up, and those guys were just lasering me. Yeah, and that was the White Sox. You were right, and that was a good hit yeah. in the club, and we'll get to them in a, in a minute. You went four innings, gave up seven runs in that one. Yep. Then at Cleveland, you were pretty good, and then you were pretty good at Arizona, and then a, a rough one at Milwaukee before kind of settling down down the stretch. and. Down the stretch, you end up pitching well enough that you draw uh, the assignment for 163. Now, we talk about 163 and 09 all the time, but as we've discussed with several of the guys on this Twins Clubhouse program, that, that 163 in Chicago was a phenomenal baseball game. And if not for what happened the next year, we might talk about it even more. Uh, what was your mindset when you knew you had the start in that game? Man, I, I had a lot of confidence uh, at that point, just knowing that, I can go out and compete. You know, I, I, I wasn't going in the game saying, like, I'm going to go dominate these guys. But, you know, just I had some confidence in what I was trying to do and just knew that if you go out and execute, you got a chance to win. Uh, if if you would have told me that my win would have been what it was, I would have been shocked. You know, I mean, you never know how you're going to handle that situation until you're in it. And so uh, leading up to it, obviously a ton of nerves. They had the blackout there. The mm-hmm. music was loud. The crowd was not super polite. Uh, so I mean, it was quite the experience. But but at the same time, it was it was a blast. Um, you know, all but one executed pitch. And uh, yeah. well, let's talk about it because the game was amazing. And you mentioned the blackout and the crowd. And that building is usually empty. And and for it's just usually not very full. And it's usually not very loud. It just kind of smells like. Yeah that weird combination of fried onions and body odor and there's weird glare. And that night it was absolutely electric and a really good offensive club too. Cabrera, Wise, Dye, Tomei, Canerco, Griffey. Uh, they're bringing Swisher off the bench. You end up throwing the ball very, very well. Uh, in the fourth inning, you face Tomei, and here's what happened with Jim in that at bat. Tomei stares out. Blackburn sets. Here's the pitch. Check swing on a pitch inside. They're going to say he went around on it. Third base umpire Jerry Meals rings him up. Tomei was halfway to first base. So you get Tomei there, and you actually struck out Jim nine times in, in your career, more than any other batter you faced uh, in your career. So good good name to have on, on your list. You remember that at bat, obviously, in the fourth inning. Do you recall that at, at all, how you worked him, what you threw to him in, in that at bat? I don't remember pitch for pitch, but I do remember our game plan that whole night was just to tie him up inside, not let him get super comfortable, uh, and just crowd, crowd, crowd. You know, like I said earlier, I had that cutter and that sinker that complemented each other pretty well. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it really gave me pretty good arsenal to attack both sides of the plate with, with movement that looked the same as the other pitch, you know. So, um, when, when things are going well, it was, Pitching into a lefty was my favorite part of the game, uh, and and that was one of my strengths. And so, I mean, we knew what we wanted to do with him, uh, and we had been executing it 
pretty well up to that point. Um, and then just, you know, yeah. didn't then, execute his next at-bat. Yep, you get him in the seventh, still a scoreless game, and here's that at bad bottom seven. Here is the 2-2 delivery. Tommy swings and drives it to deep center field. Way back, way back. It's a one nothing game. Jim Tommy to dead away center field. No question about that one. Good pitch uh, and a better swing, or was it just not quite where you wanted it? I knew when I let that one out of my hand I was in trouble uh, just because of the way we had been pitching him uh, leading up to that point. We had him sped up on everything inside, and at that point in the night he'd probably seen, I would guess, eight to ten pitches on the inner half of the plate, maybe more. You know, so my thought is we've got him pulling off the ball. He's going to be trying to be early because he's seen so so much inside. I was thinking if we get a change up down here, he's going to swing over the top, swing and miss, you know, maybe beat it in the ground, whatever. And just like a good uh, Hall of Fame hitter does, I mean, I mm-hmm. left it up over the plate and he did what he's supposed to. You know. Yeah. Change ups up, you can't, you know, you leave a change up up over the plate, it's, you're going to be in trouble with those good hitters. And, you know, that's what happened. I mean, it was. It was hung about as much as it could be. Uh, <laughs> it was right in the middle for him, and, and there were nights. There, for him there are nights, Nick, where you occasionally get away with a mistake, and there are nights when you maybe make a bunch of mistakes, but and you don't pay for them except for one. But that literally was really one of very few pitches you misfired on the entire evening. Yeah, I mean everybody was uh, pretty dialed in on both ends on on both sides that night. You know, I mean. That's that's one of the things you crave as an athlete is to play in those atmospheres and you know, it was it was such an amazing experience. It's disappointing that one pitch cost as much as it did. But looking back on a year that I wasn't even sure if I was gonna make it out of spring training with the team to be able to give us a chance in a game like that to me was just you know, gave me so much more confidence and, and all that stuff. But you, it's it's obviously really hard to go out and be perfect, and and there are going to be times that you make mistakes and you do get away with them. It's just kind of how they're set up beforehand, you know. And and if I miss with that pitch outside, he doesn't hit it out. If I miss with it inside, he doesn't hit it out. If I miss with it down. Basically, I miss where about the only way place I can't. I'm not supposed to miss with it. And so, you know, he made me pay and. And not to take away credit, John Danks threw a great game. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we just couldn't get much rolling with the bats, and you know, yep. for me play- to go out and give up one, I I was, you know, once again kind of surprised or shocked, and not that I had a lot of doubt in myself, but you never know how you're going to react in those situations and, until you're in it. So, yeah, you reacted well, yeah. and again, the, the couple chances, uh, Cuddy was out at the plate on that amazing bang bang play with. Yeah. With AJ taking the throw from from Ken Griffey Jr. and then a double play off the bat of Nikki in the top of the eighth and Danks was really good and and then Jenks shut it down. But the next year you guys come right back at it, and we talked about your stretch that really vaulted you to the big leagues, where you had that scoreless inning streak and, and the complete game stretch at AAA. In the middle of 2009, you put together a similar stretch, and it sounded in part like this: Blackburn works to Everett with two down and two on. Top of the ninth at a 6-2 Minnesota lead. Here's Blackburn with a pitch. Swinging a ground ball to short. Backing up Harris. Strong throw to first. Game over. 
Ned Blackburn with his third complete game and his seventh win of the year. Three of four games, you went the distance, and at that point, in a stretch of five starts, Nick, eight innings, nine innings, an eight-inning complete game, a six-inning outing, and then an, another complete game, nine innings, in five starts, ten total runs, dominant stretch for you in the middle of 09. Yeah, that was a blast, obviously. You know, it was fun doing that at the minor league level. Uh, to do it at the highest level was even more fun. Um, and it was just kind of that, – that's, I think, probably the best I ever was as far as consecutive runs, you know. I mean, there's probably proof in the numbers on that thing. But just sinking it and cutting it and being comfortable with what I was doing, finally feeling like, okay, I kind of have an idea of what I'm supposed to be as a pitcher, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and just working things out and, and kind of learning how to pitch at that point. Because a, a big part of getting to the major leagues is finding your pitches, finding your arsenal. And then once you get there, you you know, kind of got to learn how to use it. Um, that stuff was starting to come together with me. You know, early in, or in that 08 season, I can remember 2007, 2008, struggling with, you know, uh, pitch selection or uh, just kind of a game plan that, Overall, you know, didn't mix well enough, too many cutters and sinkers, which, you know, those velocities were the same. So 2009, I had a little bit more experience under my belt, kind of started to get an idea of what it was like to actually pitch, not just being out there throwing, like, you know, just, okay, well, he put this down, I'm going to throw it. Finally having an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish uh, and then just being able to execute it, you know, so. That was a blast. That was, you know, just to, to see this stuff play out uh, and, and to think that might actually have a future of sticking around in this stuff. <laughs> you know, what a, fine, what a fun time it was. Yeah, and you end up getting even better down the stretch in ERA under two, your last four starts, which means you draw the game two start in Yankee Stadium. Uh, and again, not dissimilar to what happened in Chicago the year before. Uh, A-Rod got you for an RBI double for the only run you allowed uh, when you think back on that atmosphere, uh, Yankee Stadium, postseason, uh, you know, against a, a loaded club like that, uh, to pitch as well as you did, five and two-thirds, just a single run, uh, what what are your reflections from that night? Man, it was, I mean, being in Yankee Stadium and, and having that energy and that crowd and that lineup, I mean, that, that lineup to me was probably the most terrifying I faced, just you know, they had dude after dude, uh, and it's just it, it was gratifying to go out and compete. And and you know, there's always doubts going into these things, and even the greatest athletes aren't always so sure. You know, and and being young in my career, still, you know, you just don't like I said earlier, you don't know what you're going to get out of yourself. So to be able to go out, compete, give your chance, team a, a real chance to to win a game is just, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's such a fulfilling, just, you know, high. It was just, I don't know, looking back at stuff like that just almost gives you goosebumps. It's just a cool experience to say that, you know, you've lived through. Uh, yeah, and, just and the there's, atmosphere of all that stuff is just, that's that's what players want to play in. And there's so much made of, you know, the 16-game the losing streak to the Yankees in the postseason. That was a game that was a 1-1 tie. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and then, for all intents and purposes, I think we all thought this was going in the win column because you give me Joe Nathan in a three-one lead in the ninth inning, like I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, and A Rod right. hits the home run to tie it up, and then eventually Mark Teixeira 
homers off Jose Maharis in the 11th, um, and, and obviously a disappointing loss. The side story out of that game, though, involves Teixeira, and that was you and your wife were in, I want to see you were in Dallas, maybe for the Red River shootout, or you were there for a football game, I believe. <laughs> yeah. You know where I'm going with this story, right? Yeah. And, and didn't she had to, like, hold a table in the sports bar, and some guy was just oozing about how cool Mark Teixeira was? Yeah, so uh, we're down to watch OU Texas, which is where uh, my wife and I met, you know, years before this. It was an OU Texas football game. Uh, and so we were down there, and we were also, you know, we enjoy watching LSU football. And we wanted to get to the sports bar to where we could have a seat to watch the LSU game as well. So she's sitting over there holding the seat. There's a guy in a Yankees hat. And. I can hear him across the bar. I don't want to go sit by the guy. <laughs> I was like, this isn't, this isn't going to go well. She was like, well, this is the only way we can find like a spot to sit. So we sit at the table with the guy, him and his buddy. There's two of them, two open seats, no one else available, nowhere else available to sit in the place. She was like, can me and my husband join you? And the guy was like, I don't care. She was like, we'll buy you a couple beers, whatever the deal was. So we ended up going over there and like he's just – going on and on about the Yankees and how they're great. And I'm just, I'm about to throw up, you know, I mean, I think the Yankees game was on at the time. Uh, I mean, this is literally just, just a week after the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure they had football and baseball going on in there and he's just dieharding it and screaming for every ball and strike. And I'm just like, well, I mean, are you from New York? He's like, no. And I was like, then why are you so diehard and all this? It's a long story, kind of long. He goes into the how Mark Teixeira is great and all these guys are great. and He may be a great dude. I don't know. But as a competitor, I couldn't stand the guy, you know, especially <laughs> whenever you just – I mean, I couldn't get him out hardly. So, obviously, I'm not going to be his biggest fan. But, you know, uh, it's pretty amusing that it comes back around that, you know, we're I can't remember – there's multiple stories like this. That's what's crazy about this. Go on where, with where it was. So this dude was a sheriff fan, and I remember having a conversation thinking that he shouldn't be a fan of his. Uh, well, and he just kept telling to change he, his mind. He just kept telling your wife how cool to share was. Wouldn't it be cool to be as yeah. cool as to share? And he must be so great to hang out with. And that game. And I remember she told him. Well, I was at the game. I had you know. That's, oh yeah, but but did you have good seats? And she's like, yeah, I had pretty good seats. And yeah. And uh, and then she was like, "Yeah, he pitched, and the guy lost yeah. it." <laughs> that's, that's it. And you know what's crazy is this happened another time. I don't believe it was the same trip, but it was about the game one sixty three. There uh-huh. was a guy that we were talking to, same scenario. Yeah, sitting near them, and he's sitting there talking to his older son, he had like a thirteen year old son. Uh, and they were down there watching OU Texas. And he was talking about how we just go – he was like, I take my son to all these different sporting events. He was like, last year we took him to a baseball game in Chicago. There was a one-game playoff. Like, it was unbelievable. The atmosphere was cool. Alicia was like, oh, yeah? She was like, what did you think about the pitching? And you could tell the guy was like, what are you talking about What I think about the pitching? It was a one nothing game. Like, what are you getting at? And she was like, does this guy look familiar over here and points at me? And I'm like, shut up. Like, we don't do this. Be quiet. And the guy's obviously like, well, no. No, <laughs> like, he doesn't. He look and she was like, he's the one that started it for the Twins. And so, I mean, that I, 
I don't think that was the same trip. My mind's foggy. I got four kids. I can't remember everything very well anymore. <laughs> but two scenarios, exactly the same almost. But like I said, the, the one with the Yankees fan, I just I have a hard time with Yankees fans most of the time anyway, just because I question why they're really fans sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> this guy seemed to be a genuine fan. He said he lived in London, and that's why it was so important for him to watch uh-huh. this game because he hadn't getting gotten to watch him all year for the most part because we were trying to get him just to move yeah. away entirely. <laughs> I got to we say like, that go sit somewhere yeah. else and we'll, we'll pay for we'll everything if you just leave. Yeah. yeah. Just, just, he, just he leave. Do it, so we just joined him. It reminds me. Yeah. It, he, uh, the thing that just, when you told me the story, I think we were on caravan that year and you were telling the story just that of all the major league players, that you would think yeah. a grown man would really want to hang out with. Like, I've never heard Mark no. Teixeira's lit name at the top of the the cool swag guy to hang out with list, ever. ever. I know, I know. And and I thought maybe my opinion was just a little bit tainted because I couldn't stand playing against him because I couldn't get him out for the yeah. most part. Uh, but talking to more people, I think that my opinion's a little more popular than I initially thought. <laughs> like, if that guy had been like, oh, Jim Tomey must be so cool, you'd be like, yeah, he is. He right. is really cool. That right. You're you're right. But, uh, yeah, that, that got a little weird. Oh, so that that was 09. 2010, you had a really strong start. You win five games in the month of May, but then you end up in the bullpen. You have one real solid two-hitter against uh, Seattle late in the year. But I feel like just starting about the middle of 10 and then 11 and 12, whether it was your forearm, whether it was a little thing cropping up, I just feel like your body kept failing you a little bit there. Yeah, it turned into a mess uh, pretty quick. So in that four-year contract that I signed, uh, I ended up having eight surgeries uh, throughout the course of it. But it started with just some little, you know, elbow clean-outs, which are pretty common, but you know, to have that back-to-back seasons. Uh, and I'm not really sure when this started creeping in. I can remember the trip that it was, but in Anaheim, and I'm not sure if this was 2010. I think it probably was. We went to Anaheim, throwing a change-up in the bullpen, and I feel a little bite in my wrist. And it lingers, you know, so I throw another change-up, and it does it again. And by the time I'm throwing my next pitch, like, so it would hurt for a minute, and it, or not even a minute. I'd throw a pitch, it would sting it would go away before the next pitch. It would sting. And at the time, it was only on my changeup. And so I mentioned it to the staff, and we started getting x-rays and stuff. And uh couldn't find anything. And I think that's probably where a lot of things started going wrong. Uh, you know, I started overcompensating, which probably led, led in, in those two clean-outs. And I think my first one was at the end of the 2010 season. I got a clean-out on my elbow. I had, I think, uh, one spur and three loose bodies. And then, I love that term, loose bodies. Deal. Yeah, loose bodies. So it would have been a spur that broke off or, you know, mm-hmm. like part of the spur had broken off. And so it's just basically floaters in there, which is common. You know, guys that throw, it's terrible for your arm. So a uh, little elbow clean out, not a big deal. Go back in and do it again consecutive seasons, and there was – two spurs and even more loose bodies. So something was obviously going on wrong. I weren't sure, but this entire time my wrist was still not right. And we were getting back results on all the tests that there was nothing structurally wrong, you know? So, um, I want to say that was in 
you know, sometime in the 2010 season because I pitched for, it might have been 11. I'm not sure. I can't remember where this started, but a series of surgeries. So I had a crushed nerve. I don't remember what that year that was. And, and eventually uh, they, you, they had to peel the sheath off the nerve, right? They had to, like, open up the path for one of the nerves. Yeah, the they go in, the supinator lays on the, like, sideways across your forearm. And the nerve that runs down from your neck that goes down your arm, when it gets just past the elbow, it goes underneath that muscle. Well, the mm. muscle was clamped down from overuse. So, like, me trying to create the movement that I used to be able to get, I overworked that muscle in my forearm, and so it just locked down on that on that nerve on the bottom of it. So what they do is they go in and basically, yeah, like you're saying, you just trim back uh, a new path and kind of make it to where it's a clear uh, path for that nerve. So um, in that surgery, they told me when we came out, like, that – you know, if you wear a pair of socks, dress socks, tube socks, whatever it is that's too tight, you've got the ring around your, your ankle or your leg or whatever. They said that's kind of what my nerve was starting to look like and kind of starting to die off a little bit, lose some color in it and all that stuff. But uh, we honestly thought that that was going to be what got me going again and got everything fixed back up, um, but it wasn't. Yeah, it it ended up not, not coming back. But that can't diminish in any way, shape, or form a, a six-year big league career and some huge moments, Nick. And as you said, you never thought you'd necessarily be there, but it turned into a real nice career uh, for you. The, the question I think Twins fans might have now is, so what are the Blackburns up to these days? So obviously we're in a bit of a different situation in terms of uh, being at home, but you mentioned the kids. You you guys have packed in four of them uh, in a very close uh, proximity. Uh, so what is a typical day in the life of Nick Blackburn these days? Man, uh, just chaos from from the time we open our eyes. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, you've got nine, eight, and twins who are seven. Yeah, so uh, our oldest will turn 10 in about a month, uh, a little over uh, – so, yeah, we're packed in there, nine-year-old, eight-year-old boy. So, nine-year-old girl, uh, eight-year-old boy, and then two seven-year-old boys. And, you know, they're, the daughter plays softball. She's all ate up with it, and the boys play baseball. And just an active group of kids, you know. Mom was competitive, and she played basketball and softball. And so, they're all, you know, got a competitive bloodline. And it's just, you know, how do we how do we fill our days with keeping them from trying to rip each other's heads off? Uh <laughs> Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we can stop it. Sometimes we can't. <laughs> <laughs> is your wife still coaching? Is Alicia still coaching softball? Uh, no, she's not. Uh, the only coaching we do at this point is the little league with the kids. Uh, uh-huh. We've both tried coaching. Uh, she coached when we first got married, and then when we started having kids, she got out of it so that she could be around me. And then, uh, you know, I've tried a little bit of coaching here and there and just don't have time with uh, with my kids' schedule. So yeah. I get to coach them instead, which is, you know, it's tons of fun developing these kids and just kind of seeing the growth of them. But, you know, just still being around the game is enjoyable. Obviously, it's a little bit different aspect than I than I used to be involved yeah. in. But it's fun. Uh, I'm coming up. It'll be two years Thanksgiving. I got a new knee. I got a total knee. Oh. Uh, so health-wise, that's significantly better because uh, you've had bad knees so, since basically you were 20 years old yeah so that initial injury was a high chopper comebacker uh that i barehanded at seminole 
And what I did, I just pinched a little lateral meniscus, nothing crazy, but it finished that season, and I signed with the Twins and went to E-Town for three months. And so I played about six months on a pretty, you know, banged-up cartilage uh, uh, meniscus, lateral meniscus, and just didn't have much done. You know, right when I signed, I was a little nervous about saying, like, hey, I probably need mm-hmm. something done already, you know. So trying to just postpone it until uh, the off season, and I did, and it didn't really affect me too much, you know, got me on the – on the stationary bike more than I was running poles, but other than that, it wasn't affecting pitching or anything. So we just kind of kept rolling with it until there was some downtime to take care of it. But you know, being 20 years old and taking out, I think they won't, I want to say they took out like 90% of my lateral meniscus, mm-hmm. and so you know that's bone on bone at a pretty young age. And so uh, you know, fast forwarding into was that 2014 that so 13 I think I was taken off the roster and sent down. In yep. that January, we finally figured out what was wrong with my wrist, went in and got that fixed. And I spent that, spent that next year rehabbing in Fort Myers in the minor leagues. And things were going great. Baseball, you know, moving the ball a ton. Couldn't throw a strike anymore because ball was sinking and cutting and breaking bats. I was having a blast. But at that point, that's when my knee just completely fell apart. Yeah. I can remember in Rochester for a rehab start, went and covered a first on a ground ball uh, to Chris Parmley at first, and we tossed it to me. I had to step on the bat in my right foot and could feel possibly the most pain I've ever felt. And at that time, I'd, when I stepped on the bag, I had splintered. Not not bad, but I put a little crack in my tibia, the weight-bearing bone mm. in my shin, because it was so much bone on bone. So, you know, at that point, I kind of figured I was done. Um but, you know, it's all good. We, yeah. We've got the four kids. I'm here having a blast raising these guys and snapping off uh, snapping off cutters on those uh, little leaguers, uh, yeah. just like just like yeah. old times. Do you ever get confused? Because I, it's funny, when you look up Nick Blackburn, there was a, a kid out of Illinois named Nick Blackburn who pitched for a year or so in the Diamondback system, and they put his yeah. picture sometimes where yours is supposed to be. Do you ever get his cards in the mail or anything? No, that's pretty funny though. I haven't. I, I know who you're talking about because I've seen that kid before. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have, yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. But that's like the ageless uh, Nick Blackburn. He got really young and he went back in 2016 and he looks about 20. Yeah, backtracking. I like it. Like it. It's a little uh, Benjamin Button action for you. Yeah, that's it. Now, now, how is your uh, how's your guitar playing? Because when we had Dunsing on to kick off this show. Uh, and I was asking him about his guitar playing. He said that you were, of all those guys, and you all were lugging the, the guitars around at the time, he said you could shred better than anybody else. <laughs> Maybe until uh, Jared Burton joined us. That dude was pretty good. Yeah, but, he had skills. Uh, he had skills. Yeah, he's he's significantly better than I was. But I still play. Uh, I enjoy it. I haven't improved a lot just because uh I kind of got to a point where I was like, well, I don't know what else to do, but <laughs> I know it well enough that I can have fun with it. You know what I mean? Like, I can play songs that's recognizable, and I do it. I've got them here in my office and just keep them close by just to fill time with occasionally. But You also you don't know, have I, all those empty hours on the bus or in the hotel with nothing to do but play guitar, thing. right? Right. I mean, with with kids, you you kind of just get to do what their schedule allows you, and so all those type of hobbies have kind of slowed down for me and I'm, I'm, you know, usually trying to 
find a way to entertain those guys. <laughs> How's uh, you got a house full of Thunder fans? You were the first, and maybe still the only Oklahoma City Thunder fan. You and is your grandma right? Was she the real the real rabid one? <laughs> no, she was. She was just intense as, in general. Uh, <laughs> it didn't have to be about the Thunder. She was. <laughs> she was all in on everything but yeah we're we're big thunder fans we had season tickets for the first couple years that they moved here and then uh you know just just like i was saying we got too busy uh to to continue to go to the games i mean it's only a 35 minute drive to to where they play for us but you know when when you start having a bunch of little kids around the house i mean if i'm if i'm up past nine o'clock right now i'm pretty worn out so uh You know, I mean, it got to a point where we were leaving at the end of the third quarter every time just to get back home and so we could get up at six with all the kids, you know. So, yeah, you gotta, so, something's I mean, got to give. Time is gone. Yeah, that's the deal. As time has gone on, we've kind of given up the habits and all that stuff, but we're having a blast anyways. I wouldn't trade it for any of it. Nick, you ever you, you stay in touch with any of the guys you came up with, played with? Yeah, I talked to quite a bit of those guys, uh, and, and not a lot. Usually around the holidays, but right. you know, I talked to Deuce occasionally. I talked to Matt Caps probably more than anybody. Uh, just he's such an entertaining fellow. What that, a good guy! You know, it's always good to check in on him. But you know, a little bit here and there with those guys. But I know they're in the same boat. It's hard to always respond. So it's usually just you know one or two chat texts like, "Hey, how's it going, man? I haven't talked to you in a while. Thought about you the other day. What's up? You know, just yeah. leaving it simple like that." Uh, even with some of the guys in the, the the locker room, you know, I mean, at one point, I would always take before I had a surgery, and I always had my surgeries done up there in Bloomington. Uh, I would take one of the clubhouse guys would be the ones that take me to the hospital or whatever, you know. So I'd take them out to eat the night before, and, and before one of my last ones up there, I took all of them out. You know, I took mm-hmm. three or four of the guys that had taken me to surgery before, and we're sitting there laughing. They're like, "Man, I've taken you to two. I've taken you to one." <laughs> This is my third one. You know what I mean? So it's just give them punch cards. The circuit. Yeah, I know, but but I keep up with those guys. I mean, I developed some relationships with the clubhouse workers, and you know, I really thought a lot about all those guys and the trainers too. So, I mean, there's just relationships that you build throughout your career like that that you know you, yep. you don't want to just let die because you're no longer there. But uh, yeah, it, uh, that's anyway, the part that's been good. Yeah, that's the part that's impossible to replicate, but it sounds like the Blackburns are doing great, uh, and it's going to be awfully fun, Nick, to see as the, your kids get bigger and, and get on into even high school. Scott Baker's got a, a kid almost dunking. He's going to be in high school next year. God, uh, yeah, I know. Is think that about that. It's the craziest thing ever that these kids are, are – that we've been done playing long enough or, or that that was long enough ago for our kids to be that age. Well, they used to just be running around the running around the clubhouse and Red's kids were the yeah. oldest and, and they're in college now. And uh, it, it's not going to be too long, Nick, before one of y'all is going to have a kid who's playing pro ball somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's right around the corner, really, as fast as it goes. I mean – It'll be here before we know it. Yeah, and it'll be fun to watch when it gets here. Nick, it has been awesome to catch up with you. And, again, we appreciate Mauer Chevrolet, your local Chevy dealer at Mauer Auto. They're here. They're ready to help schedule your maintenance or go ahead and book an appointment for a test drive online at MauerAutoGroup.com. Blackburns need like a – they need a, one of those giant vans, you shuttles you take to get your – uh, your rental car at the airport for all of your gear and all of your kids. How about that? Maybe Joe can hook you up. Yeah, I would. That's 
that's actually happened before where we've needed that. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, the circle back to where we started, if you shave it up, you could walk in there and just tell them you are Joe, and they probably would give you a top-of-the-line car to drive. Well, it's, it's worth a shot. <laughs> it's always worth a shot. Nick, it's been awesome. We really appreciate you joining us here uh, inside the Twins Clubhouse. We can't wait to see you and your entire crew uh, at a ball game uh, in the not-too-distant future. Yes, sir. I've enjoyed it, too. That's Nick Blackburn. It's the Twins Clubhouse. Appreciate everybody joining us across our network of affiliates and wherever you get your Twins podcast. We're going to take a break next week, uh, but a reminder uh, that baseball is back. We'll have uh, an update from Spring Training 2.0 the next time we open the doors of the Twins Clubhouse, and we hope you'll join us then right here on your home for Twins Baseball. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network.